Thank you for tuning in to the New Birth Podcast. There's a word of hope for you today, and we are excited for what God is doing here at New Birth. For more information, visit our website, nvplaceofhope.com. Now for the message by our senior pastor, Gabby Mejia. Grow us so that we can reach the stature and the measure that you would want us to reach, God. I pray that as I share your heart and the heart of your people, that your word may do what only it can do. Change, restore, revive, encourage, propel, ignite, and strengthen, oh God. And as you do that, God, I also humbly ask you to use me, God. I can't do this without you, Lord. Without you, God, I'm just another person speaking to people, Lord, with no power, no presence. But it is your power, it is your presence, it is your spirit. And people like us, God, Lord, that allows your name to be exalted. So, Father, I ask you to be exalted today, God. I ask you, God, to charge us. I ask you, God, to encourage us. But more than that, God, I ask you to change us. Let your word change us this morning. And I promise, God, that I will give you all of the glory and all of the honor. In your name we pray. And everybody says, amen, amen, amen. Listen, I want to mention, um, uh, we, we are in week four of our series entitled Summer at New Birth. Um, and the subtopic of the series is Life on the Mound. And I don't know if you noticed, but I kind of like the Yankees. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, somebody asked me earlier, Pastor, are you a Yankee fan? I was like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm a Mariano Rivera fan. No matter Yankee fan, I'm going to run out of Anyway, and that note, I want to mention to all of our friends and guests that um, uh, we, we started we started every summer at New Birth uh, when we since we started three years nine months ago, uh, we emphasize uh, every summer to do something special as an evangelistic tool, and um, to the glory of God, to the glory of God, um, our church tends to grow in the summer. While many churches experience decline or, you know, people just travel, go away, that's not, that hasn't been our reality. Our church grows in the summer um, because we are intentionally capitalizing on events throughout the year that, that people, anyway, long story short. Um, last year when we did Summer at New Birth, uh, we had over 13,000 people attend all of our services and we had close to, I would say, I think it was 700 salvations last summer to the glory of God. Now, now the 10,000 people that frequent our services was not New Birth alone because last year we, we opened the doors of Summer at New Birth to a bunch of churches. We had 26 churches last year that joined our sermon series and they saw what God's been doing and said, Pastor, can, can we do that preaching sermon with you guys? And, and so we had 26 churches literally across the country and in Aruba and, and some other nations that joined us and simultaneous to what we was preaching here, they were preaching in all the churches and we had a baptism Sunday. Everybody, every church baptized. It was amazing. Um, and so this year we said, well, we want to do something different and we decided to do a, a, a sermon focused on baseball and we entitled it Life on the Mound. And uh, we have churches right now that, um, that also have been uh, joining us in the series. We have uh, churches here in Tampa, Lakeland, Newport Ritchie, uh, uh, Patterson, and in, in, in Pennsylvania, uh, in Virginia. We, I mean, it's just a whole bunch of churches that have been joining us. And what we did this year was we was like, you know what? Let's let's make let's take a team. 
let's make some softball teams and use the softball team as a tool to bring people that don't come to church to join the team to get them saved. And, and so this Saturday, yesterday, um, after camp yesterday, we had, um, we had our first uh, round of, tor- of tournaments. And so we had churches up north. We had ter- uh, 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 tournaments in, in the West Coast and here. And so we have a couple of pictures I want to show you. Um, wh- wh- let me see the first picture real quick. First picture. First picture. There you go. That's the Kissimmee team. That's the new birth Kissimmee team in the house. Okay, and let me just let me tell you something about that team. Um, that team, um, that team better win. Y'all better win. That's all I'm saying. Y'all better win because, listen, August the 10th, August the 10th is the championship game. Mariano Rivera from the Yankees is going to come and he's going to give the trophy of championship to the winning team. I don't want to give my trophy to nobody else. So, Kissimmee team. Man up, we gonna win, right? So, so that's the Kissimmee team. We played, we played yesterday against our sister church, our, our our campus church, which is in Poinciana. Can you show me? No, that's Newport Richie. Show me the one with the white jerseys. That's the New Birth Poinciana team. Can we clap it up for them? Amen. So we have a team in Poinciana. We play, we played against them yesterday, and and you know we beat them, but because we won church, we all won. So we won. So we won yesterday, right? Um, throw me the next slide, the next, the next picture. Uh, yeah, th- this church right here is one of our, one of our churches that is part of our uh, New Birth Network and is uh, Pastor Waleska and Roberto Orellana. They have a church in Lakeland, and they're part of our network, and, and that's their team, and they played against uh, our campus in Newport Ritchie, and they played yesterday. I believe that uh, Pastor Orellana's church beat us. Amen. So uh, I'm praying for reconciliation, but God is good. Uh, throw us the other team. And then that's our Newport Ritchie team, the one next to Tampa. And so we have, other, we have other teams that are playing, but we weren't able to get the pictures on time. We have uh, 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 the church in St. Cloud, Pastor Carlos Duran's church as well. Heaven on Earth, Pastor Alfred Santiago. And so we have churches that are joining us and literally we're having a time of fellowship, a time of sportsmanship, but a time of evangelism and soul winning. And so we're really excited because we understand that we have to capitalize on the times and the seasons of the year to win people for Jesus. Everything we do has got to be with a soul winning perspective. Can I get a good amen? So today, today I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about the importance of closing the game. The importance of closing. You can have a good first seven innings. But if you don't know how to close the game in baseball, you can lose a game in life. I want to talk about closing. And here's what's crazy. Traditionally, traditionally in baseball, a pitcher back in the days was expected to start the game and to finish the game that he started pitching. Let me explain that. Back then, it was normal for a pitcher to start the game in the first inning and end the game in the ninth inning, him, himself. And there's this guy that made it to the Hall of Fame by the name of Juan Marical, Marical. He's a Dominican baseball player who is actually a Hall, Hall of Famer. And this guy was able to pitch 18 innings in one game. Now, now, you know, girls, you know, when I say this, y'all know what I'm talking about. But to pitch 18 innings, 
like, let me, girls, so you can understand. That's like doing 18 bowls of rice and beans, one back and back of the other. <laughs> 18, he pitched 18 innings. After the ninth inning was a tie, a tie, a tie. And he was there pitching and pitching and pitching and pitching 18 innings. Let me tell you, the pressure was on the pitcher throughout the entire game. Because his goal was to finish the game. And so through the years, after seeing this tension that only one person on the mound has the responsibility to pitch so many innings, the Major League Baseball made some changes in their rules. And throughout the years, the strategy to win the game was changed. Now, there's a team mentality when it comes to baseball. There's a team mentality when it comes to pitching, when it comes to winning a game. The game is now played as a team effort and as a group of pitchers working together to make it to the point of winning the game. So now in baseball, you have a starting pitcher. And after the starting pitcher, he's the one that starts the game. And after that, you have a relieving pitcher who stands in between the starter and the closer. And then after the relieving pitcher does his job, then you have the closer who comes to make sure there's a guaranteed win in the team. But I want you to realize before, it was just one person. Before, it was just one person here, and it was all about him. All cameras was on him. But they said, wait a minute. If we're going to win effectively in baseball, we cannot depend the sport on one specific person all the time. We have to diversify. We have to give the pressure and share it among specific other pitchers to guarantee the win as a team. And so the starter is monitored to pitch around 110 pitches. And once he reaches that amount of pitches... Here's what they do. They replace them by the reliever. And the reliever comes. And as you can see, the game is now approached with an intentional strategy in place. Now it's not pitch and hit and catch. And No, no. There's an intentionality. They want to keep pitchers on the mound until they're strong and they can pitch. And once they start seeing a decline in the velocity of their pitch, they switch it. That's strategic. Because the objective is not having one person shine. The objective is let's win as a team. The closest purpose is to pitch no more than three innings if need so. But he has to come strong and he has to do his job. Let me submit to you, church. We have been called by God to close the game of life. You have been called by God to be a closer. And I don't know what you need to close in your life, but there are some things that are pending on your pitching mound of life. And God is saying, I am going to entrust you. I am going to select you. I'm going to choose you so that during the season I have placed you on the pitcher's mound of life that you can be effective, efficient, and bring glory to God's name. We've been called, listen to me, you've been called to close in the game of life. You've been called to close in the game. Listen to me. 
God had a team in mind in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven. God had a team in mind in Genesis. And he had a closer in mind by the name of Adam. And he gave Adam the best baseball field ever existed in all mankind. He had the best trees. He had the best waters. God gave him the capacity to name every living creature in his, in his sign. He made him in his image and in his likeness. And he put him on the mound of life. And he told Adam, I've created you for several things. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Fruitful, to multiply, to replenish the earth, to subdue it, and to have dominion. And God positioned Adam in the mound of life. But we all know what happens to Adam. What happens to many people that make it in the mound of life. Every famous pitcher didn't start in the mound. They started in the backyard somewhere, throwing balls and nobody watching them. But why is it that sometimes when people, God places them in the place of limelight, they forget that if it wasn't God who had given you the capacity and the strategy and the resources to be where you're at today, you would have still been back there in a farm somewhere. And let me tell you, there are people right now that are here and they're losing focus because they think that the, the, the championship they're going to receive is based on who they are. But in this mound, it's not about you. You know why I like the New York Yankees? Well, because they're from the Bronx. Second reason why I like the New York Yankees? Because none of their jerseys have their names on it. Every other jersey has the name of the player. The Yankees, you only have their number in the back of their jersey. Because the team says, it's not about a name, it's about a team. It's not about a name. In this thing called the mound of life, when God puts you up here, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about who he is. And if it wasn't because of him, we would never have been able to be on the mound to begin with. And so God, God takes Adam and God says, I'm going to put you in the greatest mound of life. And all I want you to do is be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it and have dominion. Adam is like this in the Garden of Eden, looking at the catcher, you know, because the catcher gives him the, the signs. What do you want to do, God? Yeah, I want you to name the animals. Got you. Elephant, hippopotamus, turkey. Okay, I got, okay. what else do you want me to do? Uh, Replenish the earth. Okay. But all of a sudden, Adam lost focus of the catcher, and he started hearing, hearing the fans in the crowd by the name of a serpent. He, he, he failed to realize that every time he would strike out in life, 
his opponent. And every time he would strike out his enemy, he, he forgot to realize that it wasn't his success. Somebody at the, at the base was, was giving him the direction and the instruction and telling him what to do. Let me tell you, the moment you take your eyes off of Jesus, that's the beginning of your demise. That's why Paul says, fix our eyes in Jesus, the finisher, the beginning and the finisher of our faith. And what happened? Adam being on the greatest pitching mound in history, he failed. He struck out. They hit a grand slam. He failed in life. And what happened? For over 2,000 years ago, they were waiting for somebody to get on the mound. Who's going to get on the mound? Who's going to strike out the enemy? And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus. He gets on the mound called Calvary. And in that mound, look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 22. It says, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Adam made it to the mound, and because of him, we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Because of Adam messing up Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death. But thank God Jesus got up on the mound, and he said, Adam, I got you, I got you, I got you. I'm going to get back on the mound, and I'm going to strike this sucker called the devil. I'm going to get back on the mound, and I'm going to give you back victory, because you might have... You might have sucked in inning one, two, three, but I'm here in the last inning, and I'm going to guarantee your victory. Listen, you might have failed yesterday. You might have failed five years ago. You are not a failure. If you allow Jesus in your heart and put him in the mound of your life, he can take your pain and your hurting and your tears and turn it into the glory of God. But he's got to be in the mound of your life. Adam failed, but Jesus gave us victory. Now, I'm here to tell you, church and friend, if you're here today, there's a responsibility God is placing over your shoulders. Everyone in this room, you have the responsibility of closing the game. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. My responsibility is close the game, to do my part and do it to the glory of God. My, my job is that as long as I'm in the mound, I'm going to make it my business that everything I do, I'm going to do it unto the glory of God. In the Bible, there's a guy by the name of Paul, the apostle. And this guy, he started out outside of the bleachers. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was a Christian terrorist. He will kill Christians for fun. He was a terrorist. And on his way to Damascus to kill Christians, the Bible says that a light shone from heaven and fell upon Saul. And the voice said, Saul, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And we all know the story. He lost his sight. God tells him, go to Straight Street. And there, there's a man by the name of Ananias who is waiting for you. And he went to Straight Street. And God began to, God began to train Ananias, I mean Paul, Saul, who would then became Paul, 
he began to train Saul into Paul. When God reached Paul, he was Saul. When the apostle made it to the mound, he became Paul. You cannot be Saul and be on the mound. God will never back up Saul. God will always back up Paul. Saul was a persecutor. Paul was the apostle. From being Saul to being Paul, a gap of about four years took place. Where the Bible says that Paul sat at the feet of Barnabas. And shortly after he went, he went into the desert. And for four years in Arabia, he went to the desert. And you know what he took? He took the writings of the apostles. And God gave him the revelation of the book of Romans. And he began to get this revelation for four years. You know what he was doing for four years? He wasn't preaching. He was practicing his gift. He was learning how to pitch. He was learning how to teach. He was learning the word of God. He, he, he was a Pharisee over here. But God wasn't interested in putting Pharisees on the, on, on, on the mound. He wants to put an apostle on the mound. And for four years, Saul is turning into Paul. And when God saw that he prepared himself, that he hold the calling of God over his life to the level that God wanted him. And when he became ready after four years in Arabia, he comes down from the desert. And now he goes back. And God places him on the mound. And he starts preaching the revelation of Christ. And he starts writing the book of Romans. And the book of 1st, 2nd Thessalonians. And the epistle to the Ephesians. The Pauline epistles. He starts writing to pastors, to young pastors, to churches in crisis. Where, where did Paul get off? Four years of training. Pitching the best of, his, of himself when nobody's watching. Giving the best of himself to God when nobody's applauding him. In the desert somewhere where nobody's seeing him seeking the face of God. And while he's out there and nobody, and no, everybody's oblivious to what he's doing. God is making a picture, a closer, who is going to close. Listen to me. And we all know the story of Paul. But let me tell you where Paul, what Paul says. At the end, or rather at the beginning of the end of his journey. In Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, listen to what it says. Look at the screen. It says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. You want to be in the mound? You got to get ready to go through prison and hardships. Pop out because this, this, this don't come easy. You, you can't come here talking about, buy me some penis and cracker jacks. I don't, you ain't coming back. See, 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 to, to make it up here, you got to make up in your mind, 
It don't matter if they boo me. It don't matter if they chat me anything bad. It don't matter if they spit at me. I, I'm willing to go through hardships. I'm willing to get talked about. I'm willing to get booed. I'm willing to be in the enemy's camp. I'm willing to be whatever, but I'm going to stay focused. Even if I go to prison, even if I go through hardship, I am not going to get out this mound because I didn't put me here. God put me here. He says, I'm ready. I'm ready. Come on, man. He says, he says, all I know is this, that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. What task? The task of testifying the good news of God's grace. Paul says that he only aims to finish the race and complete the task. And shortly after, Paul says, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished my course. I have run the race. Paul is writing that, not in this side of his ministry. Paul is writing that, not in the mound of his life. Paul is writing this at the end of the age of his ministry. And he is saying over here, he says, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I've ran the race. And as a result, there's a crown of glory. That's waiting for me. Let me submit to you, church. If you're faithful in this process and you give God the glory in the mound, when you get to this stage in your life, you can look back at everything you went through and with scars in your body and calluses in your heart, you can look back and say, I fought the good fight. I've ran the race. i finished my course. But Paul's aim, Paul's aim wasn't to be known. Paul's aim wasn't to be applauded by the people. His aim was to finish his assignment. You know, there are people, there are people, there are people that, that God brings them through all these stages. And when they get here, they don't want to leave. And your, your pitching is not as fast as it was before. And you're not as agile as it was before. And you're, you know, the, 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 we was at camp this weekend, and some of the guys, Pastor, you want to play ball? I was like, I can't play ball. I can play ball in my mind. Well, you guys, you guys are too strong for me to play ball. I got to play ball with 55 and older. So I can look like, you know, like Kobe Bryant. You know? I can do that with these guys. Because I know I'm at an age in my life that there are things I used to do good when I was 27, 28. I can't do now that I'm 48. And it will be selfish of me to the body of Christ to keep all these young guys and young girls that have a calling. And I, want, I don't want to get off the mound and give me, 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 and me, me. But your victory is on this side and say, I fought the fight. And if I do it, young boy, get on the mound. You can do it too. You're going to win too. I've really, I've 
In this stage, he was clear. My job is to get ready. In this stage, he was clear. My job is to do what God called me to do. In this stage, he was clear. I'm going to take Timothy and turn him into Paul. I'm going to take young guys and build on them. I'm going to take the future generation. And from this side of the arena and the field, I'm going to encourage them and say, listen, Papa, if I did it, so can you. The strategy is clear and intentional. He's finished. He is focused on finishing and completing the task. A closer, listen to me, a closer comes into the game only with only one task, and that is to close the game. And Paul was a closer. Paul was a closer. He was focused. He was focused on closing the game. You know who was another closer? John the Baptist. Didn't you know that John the Baptist? Jesus. Not, 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 not Peter, not John, not James, not Bartholomew, not Thomas. Jesus said that like John the Baptist, there has been no other born of a woman. For Jesus to say that of you, because I can say, yo, you nice. But if Jesus says, you nice. Jesus said there is no one greater than John. You want to know how long John was on the pitching mound? Six months. You know what happened after six months? He got decapitated. They killed him. John the Baptist's ministry only lasted six months. And Jesus said, John has done so much more in six months because he understood his assignment. Listen, John the Baptist only had three pitches. He only threw three pitches. Mariano Rivera only had one pitch. John the Baptist had three. Pitch number one. Why are they pitching? Why are the pitches spit, right? It's so pitch number one. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Whoosh. Pitch number two. Whoosh. There is one greater than I who, are, who I am not worthy of unleashing his shoes. Pitch number three. I surely baptize unto water, but when he comes, he will baptize in the Holy Ghost and fire and salvation. John the Baptist only preached three sermons. John the Baptist only preached three preaches. He didn't come with a different revelation every Sunday. He didn't come with a curveball today and a fast break tomorrow and a slider tomorrow. No, no. It was just the same three preaches. Let me talk to you about consistency. He was consistent. Consistent. But you know what the problem about consistent? Consistency is boring. Consistency is boring. Wake up in the morning, brush your teeth, take a bath, get in the car, have a donut, light and sweet, get a donut, right? Right, get a coffee, light and sweet, get a donut, get in the car, drive the Consistency is boring. We like, yo, 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 after service, yo, let's go punch each other. Nobody gets excited about going to work. Nobody gets excited about going to school. Every day. Because consistency, to 
not many is boring. Now, but let me tell you the power of consistency. One, one, thing, one thing you can bank on, one thing you can bank on is every day, regardless if it's a holiday, regardless if it's a crisis, war, peace, etc., every day the sun is going to come out. Every day, whether we see it or not, whether it's cloud, but every day the sun consistency consistently comes up. Imagine if the sun said, "You know what? I'm gonna take three month break. I I want to shine today because ain't nobody clapping me for me shining, and ain't nobody excited for me shining. T today today I'm a, I, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to another galaxy and I'm gonna shine some of them. Imagine imagine how froze or fro we would freeze to death. Imagine if air." Decide, say, you know what? I ain't gonna blow air no more. Imagine if oxygen said, I'm shutting the valve today. Imagine if the heart in your chest said, I ain't pumping no more. So he told me, thank you. But these are the things that don't look powerful, but the consistency of these things is the reason why you're still alive. Had there been no sun, you would freeze to death. Had there been no air, you'll die. Had there been no movement in your heart, you'll die. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes we're after the big things, but be faithful and be consistent. Because there's something about consistency that God says, if you are faithful in the little, I'm going to put you in much. Consistency is a key factor to closing in the game of life. Consistency. You can't just pray when you have a crisis. Oh my God, oh God, God, can you get me out of this Holy Spirit and Jesus? You can't start putting Hillsong in your little car, you know, when you're in a crisis. And, and, and when you're not in a crisis, you got Jay-Z, you got Beyonce, you got Dre, you got everybody in their mama. But the moment you go through hell, you want to put Hillsong and Bethel and, and, and Binion and, and, and be consistent. Consistency. Every day, the same pitch. Every day, the same pitch. Every day, I'm going to pray. Every day, I'm going to read my Bible. Every day, I'm going to seek God's face. Every day, I'm going to decide to be holy. Every day, I'm going to decide not to fornicate. Every day, I'm not going to smoke, drinks, and do alcohol. Every day, I'm going to be living life in the mound to the glory of God. Listen, I interviewed Mariano eight months ago. About eight months ago, I'm not sure. Mariano Rivera. And Mariano Rivera, he, 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 he'll tell you when he comes to the 10th, the 11th. Mariano Rivera played bas baseball, what, 19 years, 20 years? From the moment Mariano Rivera got signed to the, base, to the baseball team of the Yankees, Mariano, his contract bounded him that he couldn't use a bowling ball. He couldn't play bowling ball. And after he retired, he said, Gabby, I haven't played bowling ball in years because the contract was designed to protect my hand. 
Because if I start throwing a bowling ball, it can mess up my wrist. It'll mess up my potential. So for 19, 20 somewhat years, Mariano had to refuse using a bowling ball because the only ball he had the right to use was the, listen, there are some things to be in this mound that you got to say, I can't do that. And everybody else is bowling, but I can't bowl. And everybody else is doing that, but I can't do that. And everybody else is okay with that. But there's a contract. I've been called for greatness. There's an assignment. And when I leave and I'm on this side of life, I don't want to miss my mark. I want to fight the fight, run the race, finish my course. And so living on the, living on the mound requires consistency, requires integrity. But it requires you to understand when your time is up. My pastor in Florida, Nino Gonzalez, received a phone call from my pastor in the Bronx, David Serrano, 2001. Pastor Nino called Pastor David. And, and let me tell you, back then, my church that I come from in Bronx was a great church. It's a great church. Powerhouse church. My pastor had grand slammers on the, on the uh, uh, what do you call that? In, in the what? In the bullpen. Grand slammers. Home runners. And my pastor Serrano, captain of the team, I mean, he had the best players in his team. And one day, Pastor Nino called Pastor David and said, hey, Pastor, Pastor David, there's this guy on your team I got my eye on. And his name is Gabby. I would like for Gabby to join me and be part of the team here in Florida. My pastor in the Bronx, Serrano, could have said, nah, -uh. that's my heavy hitter. Uh-uh. That's my dream team. Uh-uh. Ain't nobody going to shine in this thing but me. He could have easily told Pastor Nino, no. But he looked back at the bullpen, and he saw Gabby and Petra, and he told listen, this guy's ready. He's ready for ministry. He's paid his dues. He serves faithfully at the church. He's going to be a blessing in your team. Imagine if David Serrano... Nine, 18 years ago, would have told my pastor no. I would have still been at the dugout. I'd have still been here. And my pastor shining. And I'm here. And all this gift and all this skill and all this ministry and all this thing just rotting on the inside. So I want to be the pastor that believes. In the next. This week, there were over 200 students that went to Bradenton, Florida. And they went on a camp for four days to meet God. And, 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 while, and while they were preaching, and, and, and I mean, I saw girls, girls batting up, pitching, I'm sorry, on the mound this week. And I was in awe. And while I'm, and while I'm watching everybody on the mound... I was sitting in the dugout, just watching. 
Ain't nobody gave me a part. You should have, by the way, but... And, uh, my son asked me, I said, I don't want it. So relax. That was a joke. My, my son was like, Papa, you want to take the part? I said, no. I said, no. You don't understand how fulfilled I am right now. Seeing young people going on the mound and getting ready. And while, and while that was happening for three, four days, here's what I was telling my wife all the time. I was like, my God, babe, our church has a future. Our church is incredible. And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to close the sermon. But I want every student that went to camp, every student that went to camp, I want you to walk up on the altar right now in Jesus' name. Friend, I told you I was going to count to three. I'm getting ready to count to three right now. Get on the mound. Get on the mound. Not all of you guys are going to break the mound, but you know. We had students in Newport Ritchie from our campus that are standing on their mound right now. We had young people in the Pointiana from the Pointiana campus that went on their stage today. And these young people. Are the legacy these young people I can't wait to sit on this side of eternity and this side of ministry and tell these guys I fought the good fight I've ran the race I finished my course so I want to tell come on come, come on come on come on I want to tell each and every one of y'all know Get on stage, I'm going down. I want to tell each and every one of you that what happened in camp can't stay in camp. What we saw these past three days is bigger than three-day experience. And I wanna, I wanna, I wanna encourage you and remind you and tell you that I believe in you. Some of y'all this week, some of y'all this week, God told y'all y'all going to be pastors and preachers this week. God spoke a word over you guys. And I was sitting down on the chair. I was sitting in the chair and I was just crying like, Lord. And so I sit today again as I look at in the eyes of every one of you guys and I encourage you and I speak life into you and I tell you, get on that mountain. Now listen, there's a price to pay to be on that mound. Honor God with the calling he is placing in your life. Honor God with that experience you had this week. Honor God and God will take you farther. He will take you farther. My prayer is God, let them let they be greater than I. Let, they, let them be greater than I. I want to be able to send all you guys as campus pastors and, and start churches and, and build teams and, and win this city for Jesus. That's my prayer.
but there's some things you have to do. Number one, you have to stand on the mount. You got to make it your business to practice, to be faithful, to serve God, to live in holiness. And then get on the mount and be consistent. And then get on the mount and give God glory. And get on the mount and change the world for Jesus. So I want to pray over you. But before that, now I want to pray for every friend that is here. Every friend that is here. You've been living life in obscurity. Let me tell you, you cannot win in anything in life absent from God. Not your money, not your wealth, not your health, not your resources. So I want to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus in the mound of your hearts. And so here's what I need up top and down low. Would everybody in this room please close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to pray. But I'm going to count to three. And if at the count of three you want Jesus in the mound of your life, not church, not religion, Jesus in the mound of your life, I want you to be the first one to raise your hand at the count of three. All over this room, unafraid and unashamed. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Raise your hand. I see one hand. Two. We hope this message has inspired you. As a place of hope, our church is committed to reach our community. If you'd like more information about New Birth, visit our website at nbplaceofhope.com.